So the biggest thing I hear from so many folks is that they miss community. They miss doing something with people. They miss being able to talk with people about the really deep things, um, the things that matter. Um, because it's a little bit weird out here if you grew up spiritual or Christian or whatever, and now you just don't have anything. So that's why I created The Crowded Table. The Crowded Table is an online spiritual community for all heretics and doubt-filled believers of any faith or no faith. So if you're like me and you're out here in the spiritual wilderness, um, come, to, come to our little campsite of The Crowded Table. It's on a sliding scale so that many people can, can join at a level that feels good to them. And with joining, you also get access to some really awesome resources, including guided meditations, like an entire library that I've put together for, for the community, live events, um, digital retreats, early access to content and books and things that I'm putting together. It's, it's a really wonderful time. So if you are at all interested in finding community or connecting with others who are maybe in a similar spiritual place to you, you can join the Crowded Table for free for like a week. Come try it out. If it's not for you, go ahead and cancel your, your membership. But if it is for you, it could be a great place to start your, you know, whatever the next thing is on your spiritual journey. Once again, go to thecrowdedtable.mn, that's Mary Nancy, dot co, thecrowdedtable.mn.co, and we'll, uh, we'll see you soon. Plus, just as a little heads up, April 2nd, we've got a digital retreat coming up that you can also join us live in ATL, but I'll tell you about that later in the show. Uh, but for now, let's get into it. This is a tiny revolution, bitch. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary folks living revolutionary lives. This is episode 165. It's featuring my friend Andre Henry, and we're talking about his new book, All the White Friends I Could Not Keep. And just so you know, before we get into it today, April 2, Atlanta, The Crowded Table, which is both the online community that I curate as well as the live events we're going to be doing in the coming future, uh, it's gathering. Crowded Table, Atlanta. It's a day-long spiritual, like, mini-retreat slash get-together for you and all of your friends anywhere on your spiritual journey. So whether you call yourself a person of faith or you've lost your faith or you don't know what you think about faith or God or Jesus or spirituality or maybe you're into yoga or tarot or smoking weed or you don't know what you believe in but you know you want to be near people. If any of that sounds appealing to you, Come hang out with us. The full schedule is posted at thekevingarcia.com slash events. Um, it's a sliding scale. It's just 33 bucks to join. So you can afford to come. Get yourself a ticket. Uh, get yourself uh, an Airbnb with your friend and come hang out with us. Um, we're going to, if you're in town on Friday night, there's going to be an unofficial kickback, probably at one of my favorite beer gardens called Reds. Um, and I'd love to come hang out with you and get to know you. So please uh, go to thekevingarcia.com slash events. Get your tickets now, and I'll see you April 2nd. Oh, and the Dirty Rotten Church Kids, Adrian and Josh, they're going to be here too, doing a live podcast as part of the event. So, like, if you don't like me, but you like them, you should definitely come hang out. They're as wonderful in real life as they are in uh, in podcast form. You know who's just as wonderful in life as they are <laughs> on the internet? My friend Andre Henry, who is my guest today. 
Um, Andre is uh, a musician, now an author, a uh, activist, a honestly, he won't call himself a preacher, but the man can preach. So a little bit about him. When the rallying cry of Black Lives Matter was heard across the world in 2013, Andre Henry was one of millions whom the movement caused a political awakening and a rupture for some of his closest relationships with white people. As he began using his artistic gifts to share his experiences and perspective, Andre was aggrieved to discover that many white Americans, the people he called his friends and family, were more interested in debating whether racism existed or whether or not he was being polite enough in the way he used his voice. In his new book, Andre Henry explores how historical, uh, how the historical divides between black people and non-black people are expressed through our most mundane interactions and why the struggle won't be resolved through civil discourse or diversity hires or interracial relationships or even education. What we need is a revolution. Come on, somebody. One that moves beyond symbolic progress to disrupt systems of racial violence and inequality in tangible, creative ways. Sharing stories from his own path to activism, from studying at a seminary to becoming a student of nonviolent social change, from working as a praise leader to singing about social justice and connecting those experiences to lessons from successful nonviolent struggles in America and around the world. With all that, Andre Henry calls black people and people of color to divest from whiteness and its false promises, trust what their lived experiences tell them, and practice hope as a discipline as they work for lasting change. I love this man. He is one of my dear friends, and he's somebody that has been there for me in my own bullshit and like has taught me so much just by living his life. And I gotta say, my favorite thing to do is just to be around him and eat dinner and laugh with him. In this conversation, we talk about the book, we talk about our friendship, we talk about how we woke up to the situation that we were in within our churches. And I know that you're going to get a ton out of it. Um, go ahead and pre-order the book. It's coming out this week, I believe. Maybe tomorrow. I'm not quite... Anyways, I'll look that up between now and the end of the show and let you know where to get that. But if you, uh, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, grab yourself something to drink. Get yourself a coffee. Pour yourself a, a, a glass of whiskey if that's your thing. Even if it's in the morning. I'm not going to judge you. Anyways, uh, this is my conversation with the fabulous, the wonderful, talented Andre Henry. All the greats have the thes. I'm just telling you. Maybe. I don't know. Um, hey, everyone. Welcome to A Tiny Revolution, the podcast about ordinary folk living revolutionary lives. Uh, I'm here this week with one of my friends. We, we met on the internet, and then we met in real life. And ever since then, it's just been kind of a delicious friendship. It's uh, Andre Henry. <laughs> Artist. Musician author of the new forthcoming book, All the White Friends I Could Not Keep, and somebody who I just enjoy a lot. Hi. I love you. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me again. It's good to see you. Yeah. It's a pleasure. Um, I just want everyone so, listening, though, to know that I am going to drink this tea while we're mm -hmm. talking, so there will be 100%. Slavery. Please, absolutely. That's how you know it's good. <laughs> People also know on here, they also get like enough of like my lighter sounds like all the time, just all the time. 
because this is my podcast and I can do what I want to. Mm-hmm. I'm not like your mom's podcast. Your mom's. My mom never. <laughs> this ain't your mom's podcast. This ain't your like, mom's podcast. Um. Anyways, so I've been asking people this season, um, which I think is weird to say that this is like four months. So I guess like the first 150 episodes of season one. <laughs> I think after the season. <laughs> um. <laughs> But how do you how do you how do you introduce yourself to people these days? Like assuming that they're dope and not gonna like, you know, dig deep. Like it's like, um, what do you do? What's your thing? Yeah, what do you do? Okay, so first off, I've been working to this a lot shorter. <laughs> I went like elevator pitch. Oh yeah, because I'm taking the pressure off myself to give anyone the totality of who I am. Right. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, you couldn't so, know it in one sentence. <laughs> I, I don't even know it in one sentence. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so, I mean, I just tell people now, you know, I'm a, I'm a singer-songwriter and a writer. You know, uh, sometimes I tell them that I am a singer-songwriter with a deep passion for racial justice um, or something like that. Perfect. And <laughs> I mean, that's, a, I think that's a great way to start it off. Cause like, mm-hmm. I like, I'll tell people just like, what do you do? I'm just like, I'm trying to start a spiritual reformation. You can't say that. <laughs> it's like, uh, I'm a life coach. I have a podcast. <laughs> right. Right. That's, unless this, unless also, this is a dating situation. Now, if someone's asking me on a date, what do I do? I can't tell them those things because then it sounds like I'm broke, which I am. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Like <laughs> honesty at the gig, that's where I'm at. And like and listen, like been there, have been there. Some days still are. You know, then, it's then I'm like, oh, I'm I'm a marine biologist. No, I'm like, I d I don't I don't tell people on dates I'm a marine biologist. I give them my day job. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I um I recently like I kinda started seeing a young man recently. Okay. I know. Shocking. <laughs> Um, doesn't have any church trauma or drama. Doesn't How do you like that. I know, like sweet, sweet guy, very, very nice. Um, and I, I kind of like it was like, but like he weirdly enough listened to my podcast a little bit beforehand, so he did know about who I was a little bit before we met and then became friends and then started dating. But I. Mm it's never worked out before where mm-hmm. like someone has known me from the from the internet right, and then yeah. become i don't know so maybe that's the answer we got to use our clout as podcasters to really <laughs> <laughs> i don't know also clout as key. podcasters lol that it. is the key and follow us for more relationship tips tell people yeah, you're a podcaster <laughs> jesus um so, uh, you know, not to like parlay into the book, but yeah. uh, I remember when you first started writing this book, like, and you oh, were yeah? getting your ideas together. Oh, yeah, because we were sitting in your LA apartment before we went on a walk. It was like oh, the first time we'd ever hung out, I think. Yeah, and I was working on the proposal, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and you were talking, it's like, as I'm racking my brain for all of these people, like, all these stories keep coming to mind of, all these white friends who just like when I tried to explain, I was like, oh, this isn't going to work. And like mm-hmm. all the things that like I had to leave behind when I left 
this mm-hmm. world that continuously uh so yeah that's where it started where is it now well it's a pub it's a published book i mean about it's a week happened. and a half yeah a week and a half away from publishing now and it's changed a lot since we talked about that idea because you know as you and many others know uh the book came out of a blog post that i wrote in 2019 called to all the white friends i couldn't keep where i literally wrote an open letter to you know uh many of the white people that i talk about in the book but at the time when i wrote the blog i was like kind of writing a defense right of what had happened Mm. between us because they were going around saying or i shouldn't say they a couple of them were going around saying on the internet, Andre Henry's a racist. He hates white people. Blah 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 blah. blah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I Just was like, like Grace, Andre Henry's a racist. I'm, oh my god, can we put that on a shirt? I'd buy that. <laughs> Henry is a racist. I'm very, sure very much boycott that. Beyonce vibes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there are a lot of people that you might be able to actually make a bag off of that shirt if you did it. Um, Listen. And I said to myself, well, my logic at the time was, you can't just go around saying that I hate white people without a receipt. Like, where did I say that? Screenshot the blog post, the text message, the tweet, the Facebook post, whatever it is where I said that I hate white people. You can't do it because it's not there. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write you a receipt of my love. That's why I wrote this blog. So I can explain I loved you. I've always loved you. The thing that is separating us is not hate, but your refusal to listen to what I'm trying to tell you about my Black life, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so that blog went viral, which writing tip, everyone. I remember writing it. It, I remember (laughs) reading it. It was very good. (laughs) Thank you. Which writing tip, everyone, proofread your stuff. Because you never know which one is going to go viral. Theme of the fucking day. Theme of the fucking day. Like, really, really look over that thing and make sure that you're ready for the off chance that hundreds of thousands of people will read that thing. Because I wrote that thing like a text message. Like, I just, like, vomited into my, onto my website and then click send, (laughs) you know. So anyway. Listen, that's a that's the best kind of blog in my opinion. It's also amazing to me. I'm just like the ones I spend the least amount of time on. Viral. The ones that are so thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Ain't nobody care. Ain't nobody well, care sometimes. Well, seriously, like there is something about like when you are exhibiting that kind of vulnerability and you're sharing from your gut, right? Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. resonates with people. And I, I see that in general. Like when I'm just kind of like, I just need to get this out. Like, those blogs always do better. Um, But anyway, when an agent reached out about this blog and felt like there was a book in it, and I was like, I don't know about that. Because I don't sell books, but you do sell books. So if you feel like there's a book in here, let's talk about it. And um, we started developing that. And I thought that I was just going to expand that open letter into, like, a book-long letter, you know, Mm -hmm. and write to all the white friends I couldn't keep. But by the time I was like 75% of the way through with that book proposal, I realized that's not the book that I want to write because I was, I was beyond it, you know, at that point, like I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to spend any more time trying to persuade the white friends that I couldn't keep to think differently. And Mm -hmm. so I decided that I wanted to shift the angle on it and write a book 
that would have been useful to me <clears throat> when I first started speaking up about racism and when I started trying to convince the white friends that I couldn't keep. Uh, basically, mm. a book that I could give to younger Andre and say, hey, save your energy and your time. Mm -hmm. These people are not movable. Um, so leave them alone. And you get down to the business of studying this system of racism and nonviolent mm -hmm. struggle and figuring out what can you really do among people who are already uh, interested in doing that kind of work to intervene against the flow of racist power. Mm -hmm. Some Something you told me, I think it was around the first time we hung out, it's just like, if it's not going to result in the saving of black lives, <laughs> what, what and why am I going to do this? Yeah, and like, cause like that that was a that that was like a similar sentiment like I had like when I was, and still share myself about like my the only thing I care about is keeping queer people alive. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, and I, I think people like really underestimate these two very like true very simple things. I'm just like there are some people out here. You can give them all the data. You can mm -hmm. have the right hermeneutic. You can even give them your blood, sweat, tears, time, body, mm -hmm. mind, and soul. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, <clears throat> they're still going to be seduced by power. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're going to choose preservation. And it's just like, don't. So like, what was the thing for you? When did you notice that you were wasting your time and how did you start to shift? I write about this in the first chapter of the book. No, yeah, the first chapter after the introduction. And um, it was a conversation I had with a woman that was the middle school pastor's wife of my home church who had reappeared on Facebook um, years later when I was an adult, you know, like and, a ghost. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, you know, there were a lot of people when I started, when I went to, I, when I announced on Facebook that I was going to Fuller in 2014, there were a bunch of people that I'd known for my whole life um, that were like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. And they feel like, you know, Andre posts a lot. So we're basically going to see him like go through this whole process of seminary and can't wait to see what he's going to do with it. So she's one of those people, right? Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> near the end of my, no, I guess near the end, because of uh, a seminary degree is of two or three years. So about a year in, I started posting a little bit more about racism after the riots in Baltimore, after Freddie Gray was killed by the police. Right. And she starts showing up and being way more active in my comment section around this time. And um, gosh, you know, the, the riots erupted in Baltimore, I think because mm -hmm. of the way that the if I remember correctly, it was because of the verdict that was rendered uh, because of the police uh, yeah. or verdict rendered about the police who killed Freddie Gray. So yeah. she and actually, as I'm thinking about, it, I remember there were a couple other voices that are speaking up and saying, oh, those those people are breaking those windows and rioting and stuff. They just they have bad parents and they just need to, you know, mm. that that kind of rhetoric. Right. Right. <clears throat> And I found myself gently trying to push back on these ideas. And I did that for a while. I mean. Gracefully responding to a bunch of 
bullshit. Yeah, like just trying to be very gracious and articulate in my response, thinking like if I am generous with them, you know, mm-hmm. then um, at least they can't dismiss me. They can't tone police me, which I didn't have that language at the time, but they can't tone police me and dismiss me because I sound quote unquote angry. Mm-hmm. And I found that for the weeks that I tried that with white people, it didn't work. Like yep. when I when I tried to be generous and uh, gracious about my my response to them, it just made it mm-hmm. easier for them to dismiss me. And I brought up yeah. that, I brought up that woman because for weeks she would respond to everything and try to basically try to in her own way also kind of gently undercut everything that I would say by trying to all lives matter the host or say that because mm-hmm. she was a white woman who spent time abroad and she felt mistreated and somehow mm-hmm. she can weigh in on how black people are treated in America, which I find is a common thing that many white people do. They're like, well, I've been to this other country and I felt mistreated there and therefore black people should stop protesting about this stuff, which if that didn't make sense to you, it's because it doesn't make sense. Ding dong. <laughs> my, my I'm just listener. like, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a That's one of my favorite phrases. It doesn't make sense because it doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, um, the logic is not logicing. Um, so not a bit. I realize after a while that this person is actually not trying to have a discussion about this. Mm-hmm. They just want to raise doubts about whether or not I actually know what I'm talking about. They're gaslighting me. Yeah. They are questioning my perception of reality, not even just my perception, but my ability to perceive reality in a reliable mm. way. Ooh. And when I started realizing that a lot of white people, in white individuals, were doing that, um, I started saying, okay, well then, if it doesn't matter how I say it, then I may as well be more direct about it, first off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because mm. try, trying not to be direct about it just makes it very, uh, just makes it unclear, makes it more obscure what I'm trying to say. Yeah, saying that this, yeah. this hello everyone, this is not a debate, by the way. Yeah, yeah, which is exactly what I started saying. I started saying, listen, there are not two valid sides to the conversation about racial justice, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're saying <clears throat> uh, Black people are inherently criminal and deserve to experience systemic the systemic violence that they have since the founding of this country, and someone is saying uh, Black people are worthy of care and are just as much human beings as everybody else and deserve to live their lives without fear of random, wanton racial violence. One of those people is wrong. <laughs> Period. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I'm as, I try to be as like, you know, woo-woo, non-dual as I can be, but like, there are certain things, like, there is such a thing as good and bad and right yeah. and wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's like, well, you shouldn't label it. like, okay, so this is how I'm going to say it is good. Good is when humans are flourishing. Bad mm-hmm. is when anyone is not. Yeah, and so it's just like it's like so when I look at this argument that this quote unquote argument this person's putting forward at the end of the day I'm going to say like this is resulting in people getting hurt, and like I don't need to 
if you want to argue with it, that's fine. But it, you're just kind of showing your ass. Yeah. Like it doesn't negate the fact of what's still going on. Yeah. I didn't Fool. understand the power. <laughs> I didn't understand Sorry. the pervasiveness and the power of anti-blackness. So mm. like when we talk about having like kind of dispassionate, reasonable dialogue with someone about the topic of race and you're black, right? Mm. I didn't understand that a lot of white people or I, uh, or I, I like to borrow and mess around with James Baldwin's, you know, um, construction of this, that people who believe, actually believe that they're white, mm, right. um, that they enter these conversations with a superiority complex. And I don't, and I, I really don't think that they realize it. All many of them, I don't think many of them realize that they have it, but they do. They oh assume. yeah. It's, it's, and it's clear, very certain, like very soon yeah, who does like, and who's, maybe a little bit more conscious. Right, so we can't have a rational discussion about this, a reasonable discussion about this, because they think that they're talking to an inferior. Like they literally do believe that they that they are able to weigh in on an experience of the society that they first saw have, have not experienced themselves and their bodies, that they have studied not at all. They've not, they've not read one book, <laughs> not watched one video, mm. not read one study. So they don't know the history and the dynamics of how these things work, nor have they ever spent a day trying to fight it. So they don't know the ways that people mm. respond when you're trying to fight against this kind of thing. But they feel like they can weigh in as, a, as an authority on all these things and tell you how you should be thinking about this, how you should respond to it, how you should fight against it. <clears throat> and trying to debate with these people make, made no sense <laughs> because... Mm they didn't believe that I was capable of knowing what was happening in my of, life. Of knowing or perceiving correctly. Oh yeah, for sure. Mm. And then, then that's like the really big question is like, so why, I wonder, at least for you, like why do you, and this, I'll, this is probably a question for everybody, like why did we engage for so long? Why did we try to engage with people who <clears throat> didn't have, who could not be on a level playing field with us? There are a couple of reasons I did. One was that that's what everybody tells you you're supposed to do. That was that's a part of the common sense of mm -hmm. the of the society that we grew up in. Is that there is this pervasive idea that if you just sit down and if you just come to the table <laughs> and they put their perspective out there and you put your perspective out there, then you can come to some sort of agreement. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is under, under that is based on the, some of the presuppositions that we've already said, okay, that's bullshit, right? Like mm -hmm. everyone's perspective isn't even valid and doesn't deserve a hearing, you know? Yeah. Especially if their so-called perspective is, you know, directly linked to your harm, right? Like if their Correct. quote unquote perspective is, <clears throat> well, black people are inherently criminal and violent, and there's something wrong with their families and their family structures and those kind of stuff. And that's why, you know, they deserve the violence that they experience, or at least are to blame for the violence they experience in the world. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to sit here and listen to you say that, right? right? But that's what people constantly tell. I mean, I if I had a dollar for every Just one. time. Yeah, for every time somebody told me that the way that we create change is to persuade our most virulent opponents 
of of our humanity, right? Mm. I would be Jeff Bezos. I mean, like, listen to 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 the moon. You know, um, th- that is the pervasive idea. And what I learned on this journey that I write about in this book is that there may be a role for people sitting down for coffee or lunch or whatever and mm-hmm. you know trying to help somebody see that their bad ideas are bad you know mm-hmm. there, there may be a place for that and in fact <clears throat> you know we know of one guy i can't remember his name right now but he's a black man and he has he has befriended clansmen and helped them to see the error of their ways and help them leave the clan right mm-hmm. hey more power to him it's his prerogative absolutely he wants to do that Love that. The problem is that that is what so many people believe is the way. Like they think that's plan A, right? Yeah. And put yourselves in harm's way. Yes. Put yourselves in harm. Put yourself in harm's set, way. Set a table for for your enemy in the presence of your enemy. <laughs> right. To convert them. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I learned on this journey of, um, because I went looking for answers about like, well. How do black how how can black people get out of this predicament? How can we intervene against the flow of racist power? And I ended up reading so much about nonviolent struggle. And what I found was that really in the past, at least, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, movements that have moved the needle for uh, for oppressed people have not really made their first strategy (laughs) or or part of their strategy at all we're going to come to the table with our opponents and try to convince them that they should stop abusing us it has been Hmm. using whatever resources they have to force their enemy to get their knee off their neck right yeah and many of those movements or Actually, all the ones that I'm thinking of and talking about have been through nonviolent struggle. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying that there's no place for you know armed resistance or armed struggle and all that kind of stuff. Just not the tradition that I that I'm a part of, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, and what I found was in looking at the civil rights movement and looking at freedom movements around the world, oppressed and marginalized people have used nonviolent struggle to disrupt the power of their oppressors over them. Mm-hmm. Whether or not their oppressors want to come to the table and discuss it or not. In fact, when we think of the civil rights movement, you know, Dr. King is someone that people bring up a lot, and it's almost like they, it's almost like people think that Dr. King like went into a city and like called all the white leaders to sit down at some meeting and talk to them and persuade them with his eloquence to mm-hmm. take down the white lines and all that kind of stuff. When what he really did was go into cities with a bunch of other civil rights leaders and other organizations, and they shut cities down. Mm-hmm. That's what they did. They, they disturbed the peace. They disrupt the power until the powers that be are pressured to respond to their demands. Mm-hmm. I mean, something that just came to mind was mm-hmm. what happened in Canada a few weeks ago with the truckers mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. stopped Canada cold in its tracks mm-hmm. and I'm just like there's something about the power of organizing 
There's some yeah, around some, and that was also that was nonviolent. Like they literally just went and parked their trucks and stopped things yeah. from moving. Yeah. I'm like, that's a pretty powerful act. I'm not saying it was a, for good, but it was mm -hmm. well organized. And it's like, I just wonder, like. Mm -hmm. It was something like I remember like a sermon that I saw you post like where you, like you illustrated the power of everybody to say no mm. through Simon Says because you were saying yeah we play Simon Says yeah Simon Says touch your nose mm -hmm. right put your nose on Simon didn't say that it's like okay Simon Says punch your neighbor in the gut <laughs> and then nobody moves and you're like not yeah, for real Simon Says punch your neighbor in the gut and nobody moved right. and he was just like and you were like what just happened right. Right, and that that is such a that is like the principle of power that underlines nonviolent struggle that a lot of people don't know about is that you know the the status quo is sustained by our consent to it, right? And that mm -hmm. means that it can be disrupted by our our uh, mass defiance, right? And that's what people were organizing in the civil rights movement. And I'm going to connect this to the question that you asked too: is that like why didn't why did we believe that? You know, all that's needed is kind words and, you know, uh, intimate conversation to change this. Well, because we've been given a bunch of ideas about how social progress works uh, that are false. And we've been, we've been, and there are a bunch of ideas about what creates change, strategies for change that will never work. And we're preoccupied with them. So we keep on trying these things that don't work. <laughs> mm. And we keep getting the same result, which is getting the not getting the thing we want. Right. You know, we just we just keep having the same conversations with people who are not really listening. Right. And I'm not right. saying that they never like there are conversations that do shift people's perspectives, you know, but racism is about power. It's about how um, it is about how power is disproportionately distributed along the color line. You know, and and not just power, but also resources and privileges and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm. And so, in order, I'll say it the way that Jonathan Smucker says, who is an, another organizer who wrote a book called Hegemony How To, and he says, you know, it's very simple. In order to disrupt power, you have to contend in the realms of power, right? Mm. So, if me. And, you know, if me and Jimmy are friends and Jimmy has a lot of racist ideas and all that kind of stuff, that's and I want to sit down and talk to Jimmy and help him understand that the ideas that he holds are very anti-black and very problematic. That's fine. But how does that change the police budget so that money is going into under-resourced black and brown neighborhoods mm. to provide health care? and housing and those kind of stuff that would reduce crime right mm -hmm. um and therefore like alleviate the need the so-called need for so much policing right mm -hmm. my conversation with jimmy unless he is the city manager <laughs> is, is probably kind of not mud. going to have that much of an effect mm. <laughs> you know and maybe, maybe, maybe the maybe the effect is there, but it's not nearly as uh, large as it would be uh, if we were to just find out who makes a decision about the city budget, and then get mm -hmm. you know three and a half percent of the population of that city or more 
you know, to mm -hmm. engage in sustained nonviolent action until that decision maker, you know, mm -hmm. reallocated funds to the, those neighborhoods so that they could reduce crime. The conversation with Jimmy, to whatever effect it might have, unless he's the city manager <laughs> mm -hmm. or the mayor, depending on how your local government structure is, um, right. is going to have an is going to have an exponentially smaller effect than organizing a bunch of ordinary people to, you know, put pressure on the system. Mm -hmm. Oof. Also, my Slytherin Enneagram 8 ass was thinking, I'm just like, um, let's, Atlanta is ready. Let's do something <laughs> weird. Um, especially because, like, <clears throat> our midterms are coming up. So, like, I've been working with some DSI people around, like, getting some, around, like, uh, we're doing a lot of, uh, um, what's it called? Unionizing uh, mm -hmm. help work right now. Mm -hmm. But because been, it's because of that. It's just like we can't, you know, talking to my mom about why a living wage is a good thing is good and well, but my mother does not control the, the wages in my city, you know? Like, like, fuck trying to convert your family. They don't want to hear it. Just, like, figure out who 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 needs to listen to you. And, Make them listen. No, I, 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 I hear that. Go, go ahead. <laughs> no. For you, this is, oh, no, no, I was going to say it. The question, like, um, for you, when people are reading this book, what's the, at least the one thing you want them to walk away knowing? Oh yeah, well, or a couple things. I yeah. always say like, what's the one thing? I'm just like, eh. <laughs> a few, few things. Well, the book is the book is organized in an interesting way for the type of book that it is, right? Like, mm -hmm. there is there's a bunch of my story in there because part of it is like it's important that you get to know the author, right? Like, who is right. this person that's talking to you, right? So that's good. There. There's a bit of there's a bit of <laughs> thank you. There's a bit of memoir in there, right? But my ultimate goal in putting this book together um, was really to share with people the lessons that I learned about how nonviolent struggle can be mm -hmm. organized in a more effective way to intervene against the flow of racist power. Because what I've, what I've been seeing is, you know, we have this kind of uh, outrage cycle, right? Someone yeah. is murdered, someone is killed by the police, there's a huge reaction, a bunch of protests. Uh, the protests last until we're tired or until the powers that be beat us down enough to where we're, now then we're tired of getting beat down. Everybody goes home, we nurse our wounds, you know, and uh, the new cycle forgets. A bunch of people also forget. And then who knows how long it'll be until the next trigger event, right? Mm -hmm. So, I got tired of the outrage cycle. <laughs> mm. um, and that's exactly why I said, I need to learn more about the civil rights movement. I need to learn more about nonviolent struggle. So I was studying that. And I found so much, like for instance, um, we often conflate resistance or revolution or whatever you want to call it and protest, right? But protest mm. is just one broad category of nonviolent tactics, right? 
marches and signs and rallies and all this kind of stuff. That is just one category of action. Mm-hmm. And it's not the most powerful, you know, like it has its merits. It can draw people into the movement. It can raise awareness about the issue, all that kind of stuff. But then like Jean Sharp, for instance, is a icon of nonviolent struggle, um, a scholar, and he divided these into three categories. So you have protest and persuasion, which is the first, and then you escalate to civil disobedience, right? Which you get a lot of, you get a lot of people doing things like, okay, riding the the segregated bus, you know, integrating the bus themselves or stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And then you have a a whole nother category of direct interventions, which you have, you know, like hunger strikes and things like that, which just a note, since I mentioned hunger strikes, don't do that. Mm -hmm. um, Unless you're like Oprah. If Oprah did a hunger strike, that would make a difference, you know? But um, so so anyway, these are the kinds of things that I learned as I went through this. And and I share these things in the book and I want for people to walk away with the feeling I had when I read this stuff and and discovered this stuff, which was, oh my gosh, there's hope. (laughs) Mm. You know, we can do something. Uh, Because uh, just another, just another tidbit, like I learned as I was studying this stuff that uh, nonviolent struggle has been twice as effective as armed struggles in the past. So there's a lot of people who say we can't overcome racism if we don't take up arms. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's the only way, which seems like a, a very unlikely scenario for us in America. Right. But luckily, right, 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 like right. We, you know, you don't have to because there have been plenty of situations in, throughout the world where arms were not necessary. Um, also, it only in that same study, which is by Erica Chenoweth and Maria J. Stephan, they found that no regime had been able to withstand the active, sustained, nonviolent resistance of just three and a half percent of the population. Right. So there's also just three and a half percent. Just three and a half percent. And so there's all these people who feel like, well, if we have to, if we're going to create change, you need everybody, you need every single person to get on board and do this kind of stuff. That's not realistic, and good news, not necessary. So these are things mm. that I include in the book because I'm telling you about my journey of learning these things and how and what provoked me to look into these things. And so mm. I'm really hoping that people walk away with this information. And I'm really hoping that some people walk away and, you know, do what I did. Tell everybody, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, join yeah. a good, join a good, you know, anti-racist organization that's organizing against, you know, some of these systemic problems these systemic races, uh, race, these instances of systemic racism or these institutions of systemic racism. And we have mm-hmm. more informed people joining our movement so that our movements can go stronger and more strategic. Mm-hmm. What's one more thing I want to say about that? In a recent conversation I had with Erica Chenoweth, who is a world-class mm-hmm. scholar on nonviolent struggle, she told me that mm-hmm. around the world, according to her new research, we're losing more battles than we're winning through nonviolent struggle around the world. Uh, but the research is showing that it's not because there's something inherent about go- uh, inherently weak about going about things in a nonviolent manner, manner, but that people are not using the strategies that uh, the strategies and the more disruptive tactics that we know tend to move the needle from the type of information that I'm showing. And so I saw that in 2020 on the street where. A lot of people want to go out to the street and express themselves. And that's that's valid. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. we're angry, we're frustrated, we're upset. Like, it makes sense to say publicly and loudly, this is wrong and I don't like it. 
However, it's a faulty theory of change at work there that if we all just go out to the streets in, in big numbers and say, we don't like this, it'll change. No, <laughs> the powers that be already know that you don't like it <laughs> and they don't care. They don't care that you don't like it. They have to be, you know, I know some people aren't going to like this, but they have to be compelled to meet the mm -hmm. needs of the will of the people. They have to be. And you don't just do that through a march or a demonstration, you know. You do that mm -hmm. through some of the more disruptive actions, like, you know, boycotts are more disruptive, um, strikes, are, strikes are more disruptive. And for those who say, oh, but, you know, you know, strike can have an, an uh, inordinate or a negative effect on the people, you know, because, well, that's where you organize alternatives so that people can strike, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you, you pool money and you, you mm -hmm. organize ways of, of care, you know, that directly intervene. Mm -hmm. So I, I say all that to say, to kind of illustrate the importance of this, right? Like we are losing right. so many battles through nonviolent struggle because a lot of people don't understand how nonviolent struggle works. And they're not going to read the books that I read to understand it. So here is mm -hmm. a book <laughs> that will give you, like, I think it gives you enough, right, to work with, mm -hmm. and that it can whet, whet your appetite to get it to go deeper. Mm. I want it. Can I have it? <laughs> yeah. Can I have the book? Yeah, absolutely. I'm thrilled. Also, can I tell you when you talk about this? you light up yeah yeah you really do and like it's it's apparent that and i know this is like like i'm not trying to get be like fluffy but maybe i am trying to be a little fluffy with you that's who i am <laughs> it is good to see you light up and i hope you know that i'm not the only one who sees it thank you yeah. like all the pressure you feel around stuff it's okay because guess what at the end of the day you are a phenomenal person and also this book is going to be such a gift to the world and to so I, many people i really hope like so. it's going to <laughs> i mean i have no doubt like sitting here like i've already learned a shit ton of things and now my mind's already churning i'm like okay so i have this thing this network that i'm creating how do i start to organize all of these deconstructing white people in all of these different places mm -hmm. into doing things that are going to be helpful. Yeah. That's yeah. actually something I'm trying to do with um, the deconstruction network. They have like mm -hmm. a Google maps of P of like all over the world of just like where all the pockets of people are. And I'm like, Oh wow. This is how we do it. And it's oh, free. Wow. You can yeah. access it for free. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. That was a non-spawn. Um, I have been ending every episode with five questions. A little, it's not quite rapid fire, mm -hmm. but it's just one thing gotcha. on each thing. Mm -hmm. So, Andre Henry, mm -hmm. what's one thing that you like about yourself? Ooh. <laughs> um, I like that I turn uh negative things negative experiences into art i like that mm. what's one thing you are super proud of um i'm proud of pursuing my dreams no matter what 
Hell yeah. What is one thing that is a pet peeve to you or pisses you off? Mm. It can be shallow. It can be deep. It can be anywhere <laughs> on that spectrum. Um, a pet peeve of mine is when people do not consider, like when they have conflict with someone, they don't consider how their own actions might have helped create that scenario. Mm, taking responsibility for their part. In yeah, exactly. Something mm-hmm. we. Mm-hmm. Yes. What's something you're super committed to? Um, I feel very committed to my music. And also, I, even though I'm, you know, I don't have the capacity that I did before, um, I still feel very much committed to playing my part, you know, in, in the movement for Black Lives. Mm. What's one thing you want to do before you die? Oh, man, so many things. Um, I want to produce a TV show. Yep. I don't want to say what it's about right now because I don't want anyone to steal the idea, but I really want to produce a TV show. I think that'd be dope. Yeah, I, yeah, I would love that. You've got good taste. Thank you. Um, and so now comes the part where we have to say, tell the people on the internet where they can get all your books <laughs> and like find your people and then give you money and things. Yeah. <laughs> well, a great place to follow me is andrehenry.co.co. Um, because that will link to everything else. Like my mailing list is there. We send out an email every month. Uh, my social media uh, profiles are there. So, you know, you, you can find those links there. Um, yeah. Sweet. And the book, All the, Friend, the White Friends I Could Not Keep, is going to be out on March 26th? 22nd. Yeah. 22nd, March 22nd. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll probably put this out uh, right before that then. So Sweet. people can like swipe it up. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what that was, that little cha cha move I did. <laughs> um Hey, thank you for for being with me and doing and it's A, it's always a pleasure to hang out with you and B, it's always fun to do work with you like this. Like Same. You, Same. You teach me a shit ton and I also just like love being around you. I appreciate it too. I always enjoy spending time with you. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. my conversation with the fabulous the wonderful my friend andre henry the book is called all the white friends i couldn't keep it's out tomorrow march 22nd so if you're listening to this on march 22nd go pick it up today if you're listening to it after march 22nd 2022 go pick it up today it's going to be an incredible i can't wait to sink my teeth into it um i already have like a reading list a mile high and i'm giving you guys new ones every week isn't it wonderful (laughs) if you want to follow andre Go to the Andre Henry across social media and andrehenry.co. All the links are in the show notes, as well as he's got a fabulous line of products uh, like shirts and sweaters that say it doesn't have to be this way. So if you want to support, you know, a black artist and his book and his work, like there's no better way to do that than to buy shit from us. Not that I'm the black artist you should be supporting. That's obviously Andre. I'm just queer, you know. Anyways. 
I love you, dude. Thanks for coming to hang. Let's do it again sometime, please. Especially, I'm coming to LA soon, so I want to see you. Anyways, uh, that wraps it up for this week. Another episode of A Tiny Revolution in the books, baby. Um, please, if you haven't already, please like it. Please share it. Please subscribe. Uh, we get new uh, content every week. And be sure to go over and listen to my other podcast, Your Favorite Ants with Sarah Heath. It's uh, basically the show where I talk shit um, <laughs> and complain about the world. It's like the one place that I get a little bit uh, edgier, if you can believe it. <laughs> I'd also like to give a big shout out to my friends at The Crowded Table for supporting this work and helping make this podcast and all of my work possible. If you want to plug into a spiritual community while also supporting uh, the creation of content that matters like this, then you can join for as little as seven bucks a month. And that seven bucks gets you access to the library of meditations. It gives you access to our Discord channel, which is on popping wonderful. It gives you early access to all of the live events we're doing, including the retreat that's coming up this fall, keep your eyes peeled. And uh, you can also join us for the Crowded Table Gathering online for free as part of your membership at the Crowded Table. So if you want to come to the retreat in April, but you can't make it to Atlanta, or maybe just live events aren't your thing yet, go to thecrowdedtable.mn.co. Join today. Support the podcast. Support me. Support queerness, life, spirit, all that good shit. But anyways, until next time. I love you. Take your meds, call your person, shake your ass a little bit, eat something delicious, and look at yourself in the mirror and say, girl, you are doing a good job. Bitch, you doing a good job. All right, see you next week, baby. Bye. Bye.